Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Reviews and Done. This is Garfield Bright from Shy, and you're now about to experience an interviewing style like no other. Here's your host, Derek Dunn. All right, so let's get into my man's uh, debut album, you know, and I just like hearing this gentleman talk, so that's why, you know, I let him just talk and do a little bit of preaching, drop some knowledge, so them folks out Thank there, you. folks, you just have to, you know, research sometimes, turn off the yeah. TV, turn off Facebook, and just, you know, read some books yourself. Let's yeah, go back man. to this um, debut album. I own the debut yeah, album. Yeah. I purchased it when I was in um, the Air Force, when I was in living in the U.K. when I was stationed over there. So I actually do have the debut album with a limited edition DVD. Thank you, my brother. You see Neil on that record with Solomon and Ray with me. I'm, you know, I'm a man of my word. I got integrity, bro. I kept trying to fuck with my boys. And that's when I was doing good, and he wasn't. You see what I'm saying? That's to show you the difference in personality. I was doing good at that time. He was not, and I was still fucking with all three of them. My goal was to drop that solo record and then turn around and put out an Envy record through my own record company with Universal. That's what my goal was, and that's why I was introducing him and them other cats through my album because it wasn't really about me having my own album. I, I wanted us to be successful as a team. And even after all the bullshit, I still was trying to, to you know, hook all three of us up. So I appreciate you, on top of that, buying that album. That's awesome of you because there's a lot of motherfuckers who weren't even listening to the record. You know how you say you don't listen to reviews and shit beforehand. You kind of go in fresh. Well, you could tell that not a lot of the critics back then were doing that same practice. They, they, a lot of the comments were copied and pasted, it would seem like. This was like the early version of bots, except it was a room full of uh, high school and college students that they were paying $8 an hour to to go into chat rooms back then because we didn't have Facebook and all that to talk about how bad they thought the Corey Clark record was. And a lot of them weren't even getting the information about the record correct. They were misquoting the amount of songs, misquoting, you know, names of songs and, and artists that I had featured, and that was a dead giveaway that this motherfucker hasn't even listened to what it is they're giving a critique of. So I, I'm really thankful when I hear people like yourself, especially, you, you know, you were serving too and you were, you were serving our country and uh, uh, putting your life on the line, man. You listening to Corey Clark while you out there, man, I salute you, sir. Absolutely. Yeah, you have the drama Sarah Stokes on the duet. You have the Scott Storch produce Out of Control. So how was working yeah. with Scott at the time? It was uh, red hot. You know, Scott had Scott was coming off lean back and stuff he was doing with Fat Joe's All or Nothing record, stuff he was yeah. doing with Breezy. Candy Shop with 50 Cent. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, Scott was that dude at the time. Uh, Scott, what, I mean, first of all, uh, you know, Big shout-out to Scott Storch, I mean, uh, and, and thank him again for getting down with me on the project. It was it was a great experience working with him, uh, somebody that had so much success at the time, uh, being involved with my project. It, it was uh, uh, a blessing, uh, and uh, I came into uh, Scott. Uh, uh, I was able to work with Scott through uh, the man, one of the managers I had at the time, and uh, she had a friend that that ran with Scott. That you know, he went to the city. He the friend was able to get Scott whatever it was he needed, and uh, through through this contact, we were able to talk to Scott about producing a song on my on my debut album. So uh, my uh, 
one of the investors on the record who ended up being a really good friend of mine uh, from, from the Bahamas. Uh, the, the record company that I was with under Universal said, yeah, you know, we want to get Scott on it. And they, were, they got the deal all set up. Scott came out of a session with Jay-Z and Beyonce at the time to sign the contract. And uh, we made a deal where he was getting $75,000 to produce a track at the time, which we didn't have. Uh, but I was able to come up with $50,000 cash, and we put that shit in a brown paper bag. And he said, as long as it's cash, then we can pay him. And uh, we, we, gave him, we went down to uh, Star Island in Miami and gave him the 50000 and uh, he he had he actually already had out of control uh, uh, produced already because he goes through these through these uh, sessions where he just produces a, a shitload of tracks and whatnot and then and afterwards you know he sells them to whoever wants them so uh, the record label made the deal but then at the last minute backed out of the deal and I was in the Bahamas at the time when they backed out of the deal so I'm scrambling just trying to figure out how the hell are we going to keep scott on the record because he wants 50 grand and so uh luckily uh my my uh, my friend that, that invested in the record at the time uh he came up with the 50 grand and, and uh basically gave it to me you know if you want to give him 50 cool now you want to take it and go do something else with it cool but it's your 50 grand now you know what i'm saying so i, I gave it to scott and uh when we got in the studio with him, and I say we, I mean uh, me and Ray Blaylock, because for my singer group Envy, I was, you know, he wrote uh, close to half the record with me, and and performed on it with me and whatnot. Uh, and uh, we're in, we're over there in uh, Miami, and we show up, and Scott played out of control for us, not the song, but just the beat itself. Uh, I guess just the skeleton of it. And uh, we're like, okay, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. Let's hear the next one. And Scott was like, next one. Like, nah, there's, there's no next one. He's like, that's your beat. We're like, this is our beat? Don't, don't we get a pick on it? He's like, nah, man. He's like, y'all only shot me $50,000, bro. I get $75,000. You could have sat down and picked the track if you would have gave me 75000 but you gave me fifty. so this is what you get. And me and Ray looked at each other. It wasn't like it was a bad track. It was just like, huh, that's all right. That's cool. You know, next. I, I've heard you do better on the radio, Scott. You know what I'm saying? And he wasn't having that, so... We were stuck with the track for Out of Control, and, uh, you know, me and Ray, was, we was kind of struggling at first about what to put down on it, and I came up with this, this little hook idea and started laying it down, and Scott came in, and he was like, he, after a couple hours, he came in, he's like, yeah, man, it, it sounds cool. He's like, I like what you're saying, but I ain't got no energy, you know, like, you ain't got no energy, like, you, you ain't no fire, and I was like, bro, how am I supposed to have fire. This is like a piano ballad right now, right? Like, it was, there was no it wasn't that, you know? There wasn't all the violins and shit, and he's like, wait, wait, hold on. He turns it over to Cam, who's the uh, engineer. He's like, man, where's where's uh, this instrument? Where's this instrument? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, you sent it to me like this. He's like, no, no, it's missing this, it's missing that. So he goes over to the side, because he had this big-ass SSL board in there, goes down to a couple of these other sliders and turns them motherfuckers up and that motherfucker started that track started wanging and and we were like oh damn me and Ray was like oh shit like that just kind of changed the whole vibe of the of the song and it's bringing a vibe that makes me want to be energetic you know what I'm saying it's not just the piano hits on it you know so now I went back in and I added some shit to what I wrote and then I gave more attitude to what I was singing and how I was singing it, 
And Scott came back in. He was like, yeah, that's a, that's a fucking hit record right there, sir. And we, you know, finished off that session. Kicked it for a couple more days at his house. He was very hospitable with us. Very, you know, real humble, real kind, down-to-earth dude. Took us out on the boat a couple of times and shit. And, uh, you know, then we went back to L.A. Uh, it was a hit song. The song didn't hit because of all the uh, bullshit controversy and blacklisting that I was involved in at the, at the time. But uh, it damn sure had the potential to fucking be a hit song, that's for sure. So it was great having him on there. You know, you brought up Sarah Stokes. It was great working with Sarah. She was a true professional, came through, fucking laced her vocals like like butter. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we had Kid from Kid and Play on there. He came and laced his, his verse. Uh, Tracy Pierce from the Blind Boys Alabama played bass on the record and wrote on there with me. Uh, my man, Mike, Michael Landau, he was in the group Chicago. He came and played guitar on the record. You know, we, we had a Tom Keen is the main producer for the record. Wrote and produced Through the Fire for Shaka Khan with uh, David Foster and a whole lot of other songs for Celine Dion and Mariah Carey and shit. So we had, I mean, Neo was on there. Black Eyed Peas was on there. So it was It was a great record, man. But I spent all my money getting all those features. You know, yeah. uh, I thought that's what was important because those were all the hottest producers, like you said, and the hottest art was, well, you know, the exception of Kid. You know, he was just a, a legend, a classic, so it was an honor to have him on there for me. But uh, everybody else was just kind of hot right then. And uh, I was like, I got to have these people on the record or else my record ain't going to do good. And I blew all the budget I had and the money that the investors had put in on top of that on getting all these features and shit done. And then when it came time to market and promote my record, I didn't have no money left. And nobody knew that the record was out, really, and because there wasn't no uh, release date that were put out. It wasn't heavily promoted like that at all. And nobody knew that they could go and get that record. So when you don't market and promote something, it don't matter how good it is. Or If I could have had dead Donny Hathaway and dead fucking Jimi Hendrix and and Jim Morrison from the doors on, you know what I'm saying, all these dead great artists, and, and, and nobody would have known to go get the record because I, I wasn't telling, I didn't have the ability to let people know on a massive level that it was out. So the shit fell through the cracks, and what I learned was that even though the P's and Scott and everybody like that was hot, uh, their record labels were still, and their management companies or whoever was attached to them, they were paying the radio stations to play these cats' music all day long. That's why you would hear the same 10, 12 songs all fucking day long. It's because the motherfuckers is getting paid to play that shit. It's no longer about, you know, how hot you are as an artist. You could be a garbage artist. And there has been plenty of successful, air quote, garbage artists who have made a shitload of money selling records that can't sing a lick. And it's because of how much marketing and promotion went into smash mouthing that product to all the consumers out there to the point to where even if you don't like that artist, you've heard it so much, now you're, if you're not contributing to their success by, by listening to their songs now, even though you hate them, you, you've gotten past hating them so much and, and, and repeating their songs that you go out and purchase the songs. You know what I'm saying? So without yeah. that element to it, you could be as dope as no musician that anybody's ever heard, the dopest musician that God's ever created, and it's not going to mean shit if people don't know you're out there. And on the flip side, you could be the worst musician that anybody's ever heard in their life, 
But if you got the right uh, uh, marketing and promotional campaign behind you and the right team, you can be successful and you can sell records. So that it was another thing that was disenchanting about the music industry to me that I didn't learn growing up, that I learned while being involved in it, was that it's not about how good you are. It's about who you know and it's about what you can pay for. So, it, yeah, I went to these radio stations with my record and we did a thousands thousands of interviews everybody wanted to talk to me about what was happening at the time of course well that's why i was getting all these big interviews howard stern and Geraldo rivera and fucking wendy williams when she was on the radio and shit and uh i'm doing all these interviews about that but nobody's really playing the record a lot and i'm and my management and i went to uh kiss fm in boston and they wanted me to do a three-hour morning drive radio show where I was the disc jockey and I was talking to everybody that was driving to work, and I could play whatever the fuck I wanted for three hours, they told me, except for my own music. And I didn't cuss in it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not rapping. I was singing love songs and shit, dance, pop songs, but I couldn't play my shit. And that's because American Idol was Productions and Fox was threatening any radio station that played Corey Clark's album they were threatening to pull their promotional dollars out of that station where they pay the station to promote American Idol to the masses. You know what I'm saying? So if you play my shit, sure, it's your choice, but if you do that, we're not doing business with you. So I ran into a situation at this Kiss FM where I'm being asked to do the whole morning drive, and I can play whatever I want except for my shit. So that pissed me off, and I showed up. I only did 30 minutes of it, you know what I'm saying? And uh, it was because, you know, the program director of the station is the one that let us, that let us, or the station manager is the one that let us know that, you know, we couldn't play my music, otherwise they would, the station would lose the, uh, the promotional dollars from the network of Fox. And, but it was the uh, program director himself that wanted to have me on because I was like the, the hottest news story at the time, so they, they definitely wanted to have me on. But uh, uh, a lot of these other cats at radio stations, when I was like, man, but I got the Black Eyed Peas on here. I got Neo on here. I got, you know, Scott Stewart. They're like, so what? And we just got a check from the Black Eyed Peas uh, street team last week to play their shit. You know, like, what's up? What, from Interscope, what's going on? Where's your check at? So that was a hard lesson to learn. You know what I'm saying? So that's another lesson to, to tell to up-and-coming artists. As opposed to spending a shitload of money on getting on somebody's show or opposed to... Uh, spending a shitload of money to get a, you know, any type of major artist on your project or producer, spend your money on creating you a quality project, uh, unknown, pro talented producer. You want, a, you want a producer that's as talented as Dr. Dre uh, or whatever style of genre you, of your music you pick the, the highest rated producer in that genre. You want a producer that's as good as that, but that's not as known as that. Somebody that's going to give you an awesome sound. And then, you want to take that and you want to spend some money on, on mixing your record, getting the levels of each instrument and each of your vocals mixed to where one's not overbearing or underbearing to the other. And then after that, you want to take some more money and you want to go and, and master that record. And then after you master that record, you want to hire a marketing and promotional team to go out and promote your shit, hire you a booking agent to get you on your own shows, and then build your own shit. And then you got record companies that will come calling. I got a distribution deal with Sony and the Orchard through SM1 Music Group right now because I started just working for myself and just doing my own thing, you know. And it's not taken off uh, uh, yet, but we're now making the 
the moves that we need to make and uh, setting things up the way they need to be set up for us to have success come next year while still working and doing things this year, you know. So the goal is to put the money you have, what little bit of money you have or what lot of bit of money you have, whatever the case may be, put it into making your project the best it can be and then marketing and promoting that project, damn all of the other features and major productions and shit like that because you can have all the bells and whistles, but if don't nobody know it's available, they're not going to get it. And if you got the money to do both, then damn sure do both. You know what I'm saying? Get you some good features and pay for a marketing promotional campaign, but don't spend and blow your whole budget on some features thinking that just because you got Snoop Dogg or, or Takashi 6 9 on your record that your shit's just going to blow up because it's not. Those, those artists have people that are working shit to make sure that they're still hiding, that they're still out there selling and doing things, and that, that takes money, you know, which is, again, another disenchanting uh, area of, of our game, but it's just the reality of it too. Dope. So on the debut, you also did a cover of DeBarge's classic ballad, All This Love. Did you feel any pressure recording such an iconic song? Uh, yeah, it was a lot of pressure because I didn't want to do it. Uh, and it's not because I didn't like Elder Barge. I mean, I was familiar with Rhythm of the Night, and I was familiar with other songs that he and his brothers and sisters had performed that I did not know was the DeBarge group, but I, I just remember growing up with, and I loved, and I liked those songs. And uh, there was a lot of pressure from the production company that was producing my record for Universal and from uh, the label that, that I was signed to through Universal as well for the distribution deal I had. They, uh, I was supposed to have all creative control over my record. Like, basically, I decide how Corey Clark's going to sound, how Corey Clark's going to look, and y'all just put it out. That's what our deal said. That's what it was. That's what we agreed to. Once I started singing and... and they actually started putting my records together and hearing the type of voice that I had because apparently nobody had been paying attention before they gave me a record deal outside of the fact that I was on a television show. They were like, damn, this motherfucker can actually sing. Then they then started coming the suggestions, and suggestions became uh, suggestions became in, insistence, and insistence became ultimatum. So it went from asking me if I wanted to do a DeBar song to me saying no to them, insisting that I do a DeBar song, and I was feel like, no, that's not what our contract says to them, uh, giving me the ultimatum, like, okay, well, fuck the contract. If you don't do a DeBar song, this record ain't coming out, or you can put it out yourself. And, and at that point, I, you know, clasped my hands together and put my elbows up on the, on the conference room table and leaned in and, and looked at them all, and I said, all right, well, uh, what DeBar song are we doing then, guys? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like you, you know, I uh, it wasn't supposed to go down like that, but they pressured. The pressure was immense. Like they felt that I sounded so much like Elder Bard that even the people at Universal, who I wasn't directly signed to, they're just the distributor that puts out the record. They were the ones that were demanding that I that I do a uh, Bard song, and it could be whatever one I wanted. So I went through a list of them, and I just picked the one that that fit me best. You know, and, and rocked with that. I, I, just, I didn't want to do no Michael songs. I didn't want to do no Prince songs. It wasn't just, you know, anything against the Barge at all because I have nothing against him. He's a great and talented musician and still is. Uh, I just I just wanted to be Corey. I didn't want yeah. to be nobody else. I don't want to be Usher. I don't want to be Neo. I don't want to be nobody but Corey. When you hear my voice, people will know it's Corey by the way I sing and how I sound. 
It's not going to be because I'm trying to sound like somebody else. And that's where I was coming from, not to disrespect Elder Barge or any other great artist who I would, you know, would have had the blessing and opportunity to do their songs. I just wanted the world to see me because I'd just been seeing so many fucking covers on television that I wanted folks to know I am my own artist. So that's that's where that was coming from. You know, I just I didn't want to get pigeon-toed into somebody that that's supposed to be doing something that sounded like the bars just because I kind of look like him and I kind of sound like him. But uh, I ended up doing all this love, and, and uh, it turned out great. I mean, I still perform it to this day. So it was a good choice, I guess going against my uh, intuition. <laughs> so 2006, you participated on To Real Life. Just give us a quick synopsis why you decided to go back to reality TV. Uh, you know, paycheck. I mean, you know, the Surreal Life contacted my management and them at the time, and um, they basically wanted me to be a part of the show. And uh, they were offering me $25,000 to be a part of the show. So I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. You know, and I went. And then when I got there on set, some of the shit that they wanted me to do was, was clown in nature and, and uh, some, some Sambo shit, and I wasn't with it. And so uh, they tried it a couple different one of the scenes just to give you a, a, a quick uh, overview of the type of shit they were trying to get me to do. They had uh, the lady that played Mrs. Brady. She was like the contest uh, uh referee, essentially, throughout all the little games that we were supposed to be playing to get on the show. And they wanted me to uh, grind on Mrs. Brady, kind of butt naked, basically, in some Speedos. And I wasn't with it. I was like, like, nah, I'm not not grinding on America's mom. You know, a little black man grinding on Mrs. Brady isn't going to sit well with a lot of Caucasians in America. Fuck that. I said no. And... uh, the next little thing they got they got me to try was uh, uh, it was a very rainy day on set. There was a lot of mud and shit because we were up here at this house. And uh, they brought these same pair of Speedos, yellow pair of Speedos down to me. And they're like, all right, Corey, we got this funny thing. We, we want you to, you know, grab a handful of mud and rub it all on, on your ass, like with these yellow Speedos on. Just rub it on your ass and make it look like you, you shit yourself, right? And then put your ass with the yellow Speedos and the mud on it in the, in the camera frame and turn around and look over your shoulder into the camera and say, I'd shit myself to get on the surreal life. And I was like, yeah, I won't be doing that shit either. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, like, I'm not willing to compromise who the fuck I am for $25,000, for $50,000, for a million motherfucking dollars. I'm not doing no clown shit. If y'all want me to come on here because you want to see me for me, you want me to just be me, and I'm not no asshole and I'm not no crazy individual, but if y'all just want me on here because of my personality and what I'm doing in my music and you want to follow me doing what I'm doing in my music, cool. I'm not doing no clown shit to fucking get no money and get on TV and make a fool of myself and out of my family. I'm not with it. And... They let me go the next day. They, they, they used some of the other footage that I did where I wasn't involved in, some, in those tactics uh, when they finally started airing that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm not with that kind of shit, man. I'm not no clown. I'm not no monkey. You know, I, I am here for your entertainment, but it's the type of entertainment that I'm choosing to provide. And if you want to hear it and you want to look at it, then, you know, then I got a good show for you. If not, I'm sure that there's plenty of other, that kind of bullshit out there that you can go and check out on Instagram or, or Facebook or any one of these other weird-ass social media sites where people are doing that kind of shit to get attention. Like I said at the top of this interview, attention don't equal success, bro. 
you can have 3 million followers, but they're just coming every day to see you make a fool out of yourself and, and get arrested or hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. They're not buying or supporting you. They're just, you know, you might get a couple endorsement deals because you got so many eyeballs on you, but that's, that's short-lived. You know what I'm saying? How are you going to maintain uh, 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 what your, your platform? You have to keep doing more crazy shit and more revealing shit and more just clown ridiculous shit, and I'm not with it. You know what I'm saying? If I can't captivate you by grabbing a microphone and singing some songs to you and, and touching your heart with, with some real-life stories about some shit that either I went through or that I saw and observed somebody else go through, then we don't have nothing to discuss. And I'm okay with that. And I might not ever, 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 never sell as many records as, as highly, 99% likely I'll never sell as many records as Michael Jackson. You know what I'm saying? I've already sold 500,000, so I'm not doing too bad, but I ain't going to sell millions and millions like he will, and I'm okay with that. Uh, people's problem is that they want to try to throw in your face that you're not as successful as you first set out to be without attributing any type of uh, validity or success to the comfortability you have of what it is you're doing, knowing that you didn't have to sell your soul to, to, to not only make a living but do it comfortably. You know, I've had people chasing me down in the streets and shit from my time on American Idol and flipping out and being recognized and fame is not what the fuck I thought it was, man. It is not. It's not what I set out for. It's, it's not what I thought it was just in the, you know, in the short. It's not what I thought it was. Fame is the, like famous for the birds. You can have fame. I need to be, I need to be successful and I need to be paid to be successful. And, yeah. you know, I, if I sell only a hundred thousand records, that's not even going gold again. At ten bucks a piece, that's still a million dollars that I got to split up between me, give my distributor thirty percent, and my producer another thirty percent. But bro, that's that's cool with me. I, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm cool with that. Nobody owns me. Nobody tells me what hoops to jump through. Nobody's got me out here doing no clown shit. I'm not denigrating um, my community or anybody else's. You know what I'm saying? To try to turn a quick buck that really I'm not ever going to see. It's going to go into my label's pocket anyway if I'm involved in that game and I'm signed up under a regular ass record deal. So I'm not mad at where I'm at, bro, at all. It's real life or anything where the people are asking you to do something that's below your integrity level or your ethics. But now if you're a type of motherfucker that's with that clown shit, then that's not below you. That's not beneath you. And that might be the platform that, that you need to be on that's, that's going to make you super successful. You might be a comedian. That's some comedian shit. That's not, a, that's not some singer shit. You know, you saw Mike and you saw Prince. Even though there wasn't no social media, there was still fucking media, you know. And, but you only saw them when they wanted you to see them, and they kept really tight control over their own image, you know what I'm saying, even back then. So I, I, I take a page out of those playbooks. I don't take, you know, pages out of playbooks of some of these YouTube and Instagram stars and whatnot. That's just ridiculous to me. I don't have nothing to offer to society in that in that form. So speaking on music, what can you tell us about your newest release, Color Me? Uh, Color Me is a dope song, man. It's a good song. It's a it's a feel good song. Uh, it, uh, my my boy Chris Halo that wrote that originally. It came to me with the idea that we uh, finished writing together and putting together. Uh, you know. He, he plays with me in a lot of these live shows. He's my guitar player, and he loves the way I sing. So he had some material that he had started working on that we sat down, 
together on, and uh, we actually got, you know, we were blown off at this particular studio session by uh, Stevie Wonder's daughter, who was supposed to come through and record some stuff with us, and she didn't, so uh, I was like, oh, Chris, I was like, what about that one joint you were telling me, man, let's let's try to flesh that out a little bit, so we started working on it, and came out with a great song, man, and, and um, you know, I'm, I know he had different meanings behind some of the stuff that uh, he wrote in it, and and what we originally conceived, but uh, ultimately what we ended up with was a song and a music video about that song where it's essentially about, you know, it's, it's the it's the old love story where, you know, boy meets girl, uh, but it's, it's not on that same basic premise. It's like the girl is America that I'm meeting, and uh, I'm trying to teach America how to learn how to love and, and respect and accept people for who they are. You know what I'm saying? So the video kind of walks people through that uh, and showing some of the situations in the in the uh, in society today that that I felt were prevalent to address and touch upon, and uh, just we took the premise of uh, Pleasantville, the movie with Tobey Maguire and Reese Witherspoon. We took some of the uh, ideas from that and borrowed those. Where uh, some of the characters in the movie that are black and white, as they start to learn about love, they become colored. And, of course, when you become colored in this black and white world, they start stoning you and throwing stuff at you and you get shunned and whatnot, but you're still doing the right thing because it's love. So we took some of those ideas and incorporated it into the video. And, you know, the the girl, the main girl in the video, Diane uh, Adelina, she's the antagonist as well as my love interest, and she plays the role in some of these situations where she's not being a very good person, you know, separating families from their parents and put them in jail or, uh, you know, trying to question young black, uh, uh, air quote, suspects that the police have detained without a lawyer or an adult present. You know what I'm saying? So there's things that she's doing in this video where, uh, you know, I go in as the protagonist and I go in and I teach her, you know, what the right thing to do is. And as she's receiving these lessons more and more, she, she begins to turn the color. You know what I'm saying? So it's just the whole premise is just about teaching teaching somebody how to love and, and be loved and, and, and accept people for the way that they are as opposed to trying to hold people to certain standards that are, that may be unreasonable, you know. Trying to get all that into a song format is kind of difficult, but I believe we came up with, with a creative way to do it, you know. But it is available. Color Me is available, man. Uh, we got Color Me on every digital music platform that you can think of and some that you probably didn't even know uh, were even in existence. It's on iTunes, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Google Play Music, Pandora, Spotify, uh, Deezer, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, iHeartRadio, uh, KKBox, which is a Korean uh, version of those platforms, Angami, which is an Indian version of those platforms. It's, it's all over all over the world, man. We got three different versions of the song out right now. We're getting ready to release a uh, uh, a special version of it for people. That's going to be a physical formatted release along with the digital format so people can purchase a signed copy of it if they would like to for a little bit more, or they can just get the regular digital single of it as well. You know what I'm saying? But um, I feel good about Color Me because of the message that it's putting out there showing people that it's, it's still okay to just be yourself and still still love and, and be cool to other people. 
and I'm I'm thankful that the uh, SM1 Music Group label is giving me the opportunity to to continue to do my thing, and I, I hope that uh, we're able to do to do some big things together. I'm a big fan of musical biopics. Who's one artist story you would love to see told on the big screen or in the miniseries format? Yeah, mine. <laughs> mine like a motherfucker. I'd love to see my story up on the silver screen or on the big screen. Either way the wind blows, it would be cool, man. To, to add my story from Envy and Idol and everything that I did before that and after that, and make a story out of that that could be comparable to something like the Five Heartbeats or a Purple Rain or a, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, the Jackson Family story or something like that, and have that go down in the lexicon as one of the cult classics. I think that would be awesome because I, my whole life is, you know, with the, with the exception of the last couple of years, it's been pretty much like a movie, and uh, there's no reason why it shouldn't be turned into a movie because I got I've had a great life, thank God, and. Uh, you know, I'm thankful for the things that I've experienced, both good and bad, because it's made the man that's standing here before everybody, and I wouldn't be who I am today without the good and the bad that's happened to me. And I'm thankful for it all. So I'd like to see my my story, my biopic. Yeah, Justin, um, and Justin talking to you, man, you know, chopping it up to you. But you have a story, and, you know, as I, as I often tell, that's my standard question that I ask on my, my um, interviews with the biopic question, and, being a film person, somebody actually went to film school and knows film, like, inside and out um, for the most part. I'm like, you know, everybody has a story. It's just all in the execution. And it kind of piggybacks on what you were saying earlier, you know, how we're just so disconnected from reality. Like, you, know, you never know what somebody's going through. You never know what, you never know what somebody else You never know what somebody else has been through. But, but you know, your story as a, you know, as a film director, if I were, you have a classic underdog story, somebody who was almost there, but for whatever reason, like, you know, they didn't make it. That's an underdog story. Then you ended up where you are now doing doing it your own way. It's just like saying yeah. if you're a, you know, if you're an A1 chef, right, and you can cook your ass off without any training, and then everyone's yeah. trying to get you to, to, to be a cook in the movie, and, they you know, then they're stealing your recipes and all that, you don't get the success that you want, but you have a successful food truck or a successful mom and pop store that you work at, and that's what you're happy doing. That's the angle that I own. Yeah. That I own. That I control, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, everybody has a story. It's just up to you to find the right writer and the right director to tell that story. Absolutely. Or maybe, you know, I I just had somebody... A uh, good friend of mine, uh, uh, Doyle McCurley, man, he's a great friend of mine, man, and the family. And uh, he just actually left me a message the other day talking to me about possibly, you know, trying to pitch my story and uh, to some folks that he knew. And, uh, you know, maybe you and I can sit down and, and flesh out that idea sometime and try to try to make you, incorporate you and make you a part of that somehow since you're already kind of on it. You know, like I, I always want somebody involved, like I said, instead of hiring who's hot and what's, What's popular, I want somebody that's talented but relatively unknown to work with me because, A, they're just as hungry as I am, and, B, they're interested. You know, I don't have to interest you in it because you're talking about it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're interested. Doyle's interested. Both, you know, you shoot stuff. He knows people that shoot stuff and might be able to get it propped up for us. You might know some folks that could get it propped up for us so we could get it going. 
But I damn sure got a I damn sure got a story. We're going over some of the you know the light end stuff as far as interviews are concerned that that isn't necessarily uh, uh, appropriate for interviews. But there's things that make a great movie on top of these other things that we're talking about. So we'll, we'll we'll get with it sometime. Well, man. Thank I'll you, keep man. that in mind that you do that. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, bro. It's really only um, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's a TV series. There's really only seven basic plot points that you got to follow, and it's all it's all an execution that you tell it. And so, you know, again, like I'm not so much into film anymore. I mean, I study it because I got this from my review, and you know, more about my interviewing stuff and my blog and my podcast and now. But yeah, I mean, I know I know plenty of black filmmakers. I know plenty of filmmakers, period. And there's so much undiscovered talent out there that can tell a story and want to tell a story, but, you know, we're too focused on the juiciness and the meat and all that. You don't focus on the heart of the story. And like I said, I mean, you easily have a story that you just say, like, inspired by the life of Corey Clark. It's just the angle that you want to take to get to where you want to take it. And, you know, we you know, I'm always on Facebook, you know, you got my email, so we can always talk online. I can give you plenty of uh, ideas, you know, but just, you know, let your team know that really there's only seven basic plot points you got to follow. It's only seven basic story plots, and that's, that's like the God honest truth. Yeah. Right, okay. so I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw you a tough one. So who are your top five MCs of all time? My top five MCs of all time. Well, let's see. I'm going to have to go with uh, Buster Rhyme. Uh, I'm going to have to go with, uh, let me think about this now, uh, Nas. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with uh, uh, Outcast. I'm going to have to go with... Uh, hmm. Tie between Common and Black Thought for fourth, and then fifth, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go pot, man. Yeah, it's one of the questions, man, that I throw out there too. And it's like you always go back, back and forth. I'm surprised you didn't say uh, he say M or um, whatever. Like and I always tell people, you know, like, I don't have M in my top. Shit, I don't know, in my top twenty, but. When I say that, I always tell people, like, look, I'm not saying dude is trash because he's not. He's a very, very talented individual. Absolutely. But, but for <laughs> me, like, my top, somebody that's in my top five is somebody that I listen to on the regular. Somebody like, hey, I'm yeah. constantly listening to. So it's like I don't find myself playing Eminem, like, on the regular. Like, you know, like I might yeah. play him if it comes on the radio, if I have my playing random. But you know, I'm more yeah. into the, the Black Thought. You know, I'm more. I'm really into Big Daddy Kane, really into KRS-One, yeah. really into Jay. So I mean, those people that, that I listen to the most. So naturally, like you know, they're gonna be my personal top five. So that's why I listen to the most. And like again, you know, it's not a shot at M. It's not a shot at Pac. It's not a shot at um, Three Stacks. It's not a shot at right. Redman or you know any anybody. Right. Who's, I don't listen to them on the regular. I like them. Not a- and I rock with uh-huh. help. I'll even play to see him live. But yeah. I just have, I don't have them in my top five because I don't play them enough to consider them in my, you know, top five. Right. right so I, I would say the top, the top three upcoming MCs that I like are uh, Kendrick, 
J. Cole and this young cat named Ad Two. This young brother is dope. He's got a he's got an album out or a mixtape one or two called uh, Jim Crow the Musical. It is bomb. You got to check it out. All right. So before we close out, I got to ask you about the Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary. We saw the talk recently. So yeah. if ESPN were to do a sequel focused on a football player, who I, who's your ideal pick to see? A seven-part documentary uh, on a football player. It either ha- for me, it either have to be uh, Bo Jackson, Jerry Rice, or Barry Sanders. One of those three, because they were like those are two of the best running backs of all time, in my opinion. Bo Jackson played for the Raiders as a running back uh, back when I was a kid, and uh, Barry Sanders played for the Detroit Lions back when I was a kid. And really, like, they were two totally different types of running backs. Bo Jackson was power and, and just speed. He looked like he looked like a, a, a like a big deer out there running. Like like his stride, he would just run by. But but, but uh, my man uh, my man uh, Barry Sanders, however, was very just just uh, uh, he was quick. He had fast feet. Uh, he was probably faster than Bo Jackson. But he was very slippery as well, and he had the ability to, to to stop on a dime and cut back another way or spin one, like just doing amazing things that were basically unheard of of a running back at the time. And uh, and then Jerry Rice, of course, one of the best wide receivers that, that I ever grew up watching to, to catch a football. I, I always, you know, when I played football, it was one of the reasons I played, you know, receiver was to, because – I was I really idolized Jerry Rice, so though it had to be one of those three. And where can fans find on social media? And is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, man, uh, social media on Twitter, I'm CDC Music, uh, Charlie David Charlie Music, basically for those that need to hear it without you know. Uh, but CDC Music on Twitter, I am uh, the Corey Clark. On uh, Instagram, and it's Corey Clark on Instagram. And then uh, uh, on Facebook, it's just Corey Clark. You know, I got my artist page on there, and I've got uh, my personal page on there as well. Uh, uh, My city's Nashville, so that's where you can find me at. Um, As far as the music is concerned, like I said, uh, the first album, self-titled album, Corey Clark, is still available worldwide on all digital platforms that I put out through Universal. Uh, The new singles that I've been putting out this year, Color Me, are available on every major music platform as well that I've been distributing through Sony and The Orchard and SM1 Music Group, Uh, all all that being through uh, uh, Crying Music Group and the Royalty Network as well. I've got to throw all my companies in there. And then... uh, you can get that on anything, man. Every major platform, Spotify and Pandora, iHeartRadio, you can stream it for free. That's one way to support me without spending any kind of money. You can just stream my material, add it to your playlist on those platforms for free. Every time it spins, we get a check. Uh, you know, and if you'd like to support even further, you can download and purchase the single uh, on iTunes and Amazon.com and Google Play Music. So it's available everywhere for purchase as well. We got, you know, the I got a mixtape that's going to be coming out with that, a book that's coming out through a publishing deal I got uh, last year, and um, and uh, also my second studio-length album as well. 
Uh, so, we, you know, we've got projects that, that are in the works that we've been working on for a little while, bringing to fruition, and I just hope that, uh, you know, they're quality enough that, it, that there's people out there that are going to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you for taking your time out to, to speak to me today, and uh, I look forward to catching the interview in the magazine and, and online, man. Blessings, bro. Blessings. Like I said, like I, like, I, like I tell everyone that I talk to, whether it's an independent artist, whether it's a um, somebody that's major, for me, talking to artists and hearing you guys tell your truth, tell your story, you know, helps, you know, make it a blessing. To me, it's a blessing. And, and I tell every artist interview that I've had or everybody that I've interviewed, talking to you guys, and ladies that I've interviewed also, for me, is the equivalent of sports fanatics watching Michael Jordan's The Last Dance. Because yeah. you know, I'm not in sports like that. But I could just sit here for hours and hours and hours and just talk to an artist or hear someone tell their truth and be entertained and never get bored. That's just my personal thing. So thank you for blessing me with your presence and, you know, take time out of your schedule to chop it up with me. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate, you know, you wanting to talk to me and, and uh, taking your time out. And it was my pleasure to uh, give you some insight into my career and, and into my uh, my life and my story and whatnot. And, you know, uh, I look forward to uh, doing some more with you and watching you grow in, in your field of uh, journalism and doing interviews and whatnot. And, and uh, hopefully when you get big, you'll remember a brother and you'll, and you'll keep interviewing me as things are jumping off for you, man. Hey, man, like, like, like I tell folks, man, you know, I always got a platform. Anybody anybody has a story that's in the industry, I always got a platform. Um, on that note, folks, I hope you've all enjoyed hearing Mr. Corey Clark, one of American Idol, now a solo artist in his own right, tell his own story. Um, I hope that he inspired you with a determination to get out there and do it yourself. And as my man said, fame isn't all it's cracked up to be. With that being no, said, no. that doesn't mean that you can't pursue your dreams. That doesn't mean that you can't get out there and direct your own movie or, you know, put your own podcast that I'm doing now or record an album, you know. Just do it yourself. Do you. Do do you. Not only just do it yourself if you if you can, but do you. Don't sell your soul. Don't don't lose your integrity for nobody. Not worth it. Not worth it. Whatsoever. And I'm gonna leave you all with this quote. In fact, the confidence of the people is worth more than money. Carter G. Wilson. Until the next time, done, out. What up, y'all? This is Mike from the infamous group 112, ATL's Finest, and thanks for listening to Reviews and Done with my man, Derek Dunn. If you like this show and want to know more, check out his website, reviewsanddone.net.